that intro every time. Every and time. we're off. And we're back. And we're back. You're back. I'm back. Welcome back. Thank you. It's Man. Good to be back. Uh, we had mentioned it uh, with Father Sean, but Father Brian just got back from a silent retreat with Father Jason Wunsch. It's true. How was it? The uh, famous Father Jason Wunsch. That's right. It was great. It's good to be away. You know, we were down in uh, Flagstaff with Father Will Schmidt. Ooh, I miss he's him. A, he's a great priest. He really is. He's doing great things down there in Flagstaff. I had never um, really stayed in Flagstaff. So that's a cool town. Yeah. It's at, it's at 9,000 feet. It's crazy. <laughs> wait. wait. Uh, how much did you get to experience? Did you walk around? Did you walk around downtown not speaking? I did. You did? Oh, yeah. Really? I like to go out, out so- on walks. <laughs> I'm yeah. so intrigued. I, I, we almost did a podcast, maybe someday we should, on why silent retreats and what are they and how do you dive into them. But I totally said that sarcastically. I did not expect you to say you went downtown silently. What, what if someone says hi to you? You can say hi. The point, the point isn't to be super uptight about it. The, I love this. Yeah, <laughs> I bet you do. I bet you do. You like this. I don't know why that made me think of this has nothing to do with anything. I was rock climbing yesterday with my brother and his kids. And one of his sons, uh, Johnny brought a friend with him, a friend named Cam. It's Camden, I think is his full name. But anyway, Cam said to me, he goes, no offense, but you look like Ryan Reynolds. Oh. And I was like, none taken. Yeah. I think he's, he's one of the guys that women think are very attractive. The bee's knees. Yeah. Well played. Yeah. Not normally how it goes when someone says no offense. No offense. Yeah. Yeah. That was was kind of funny. But anyway, yeah. So I don't know how that popped into my head. I love that. I have nothing. That has nothing to do with Silent Retreat, really. I'm going to start calling you Father Ryan. Father Ryan. Yeah. Morgan called me that this morning. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, Wait, okay. So if you're walking downtown, can you like order coffee? What if you go in to like get coffee? I did. So I took the headphones I'm wearing now. And... You know, some people would say that this is pushing it a bit, but for me, I love doing this. So the, the, when you go on silent retreat, what you have, you, there's two types of silence. There's external silence, which is the more obvious type, where there's no, your phone's not on, where you're not listening to music, uh, where, um, yeah, it's just, there's a lack of noise. And then there's interior silence. And Exterior silence helps us achieve interior silence, but the goal is the interior silence. Got it. Okay. And what that basically means, right, is that everybody knows this. The number one complaint usually people say about prayer is they say, okay, I go to pray, I sit down, and the second I'm quiet, a billion things are speeding through my head. Totally. Right. And, And so the goal of a silent retreat is that the external silence helps us to achieve the internal. Okay. And so that's, that's the real goal. And so it's not about, my point is it's not really about the external silence. It is important. I, sh- I should say that it's important to have it because it, it really does facilitate internal silence, but it's not the kind of thing where it's like, you know, if someone, if you need like the salt or something, you can say that <laughs> it's not gonna, that's not breaking a big rule. So I go, I went into downtown Flagstaff. So I, what you usually do, I was trained in the real kind of saint who gave retreats to the churches, St. Ignatius of Loyola. So the Jesuits. And so Ignatius teaches really kind of a structure about retreats. 
And so I was really raised and, and trained in that methodology. And I kind of fudged on this retreat. You're supposed to do, I think it's five prayer periods a day. Maybe it's six. It's a lot. Yeah. And he doesn't say hour, but you know, a lot of people take it in oh, that direction. Six hours. Oh yeah. Like this oh, is serious. This wow. is not like most people when they go on retreats, they kind of, it's like, oh, there's a skit and we had lunch together and there was talk and then go sit in the woods for a half hour and write in your journal. Yeah. That's not really a retreat in the full sense in the church's mind. Not to okay. be, it sounds so arrogant and yeah, like condescending. <laughs> And I don't mean it to be condescending. No, it's all good. Catholic one-upper. Yeah, right. Keep going. Out Catholicing each other. <laughs> That's right. I hate that. But a, a retreat really in the church's mind means silence and it means intense encounter with Christ. Wow. Okay. So what you, what you usually do is you have, you know, you might not, I, since I've been a priest, I haven't really been doing like five prayer periods a day, but usually four. Got it. So you do, I'll wake up, do holy hour in the morning. And can just kind of spread forth throughout the day, you know, okay. late morning, then maybe mass around noon, then one about like three o'clock and then one usually after dinner. Okay. But you're spending a lot of time. You're not there. Vacation is not, re- or I'm sorry, retreat is not vacation. You're there to pray. You're there to encounter the Lord. And, and every time you go on retreat, you, uh, we weren't even going to talk about this today, but every time you go on retreat, the temptation is not to be generous. And what saying, and what I mean by that is, and I have this every time I go on retreat is there's a temptation to not really give that time fully to God, but just to take it for yourself as relaxation. Oh, and, interesting. Yeah. Okay. That's always a temptation. I have it every time I go on retreat, that's my temptation. And so St. Ignatius says that when you start a retreat, you should make a prayer uh, of generosity. Basically saying, Jesus, I, I want to be generous with you in this time. I don't want this to be my time. I want this to be yours. And I want to really give myself to you in this time. So wow, cool. I wasn't as good about that this time, honestly, but it was still good. I did pray, of course. I prayed every day. Um, but I would go to a coffee shop, which I do that sometimes on retreat. I take these, I have uh, these headphones, and usually at coffee shops, there's a lot of noise. So I'll put on some Gregorian chant or Ugh. Mozart or something. But I like <laughs> it's healthy. I think it's healthy to get a change of scenery. Yeah. Cause you're locked up in one place all day. So, so I went to downtown Flagstaff. I went to a place called late for train coffee shop. Oh, clever. And I probably read, I probably read like 500 pages this week. Wow. Yeah. Which out is great. Of, it was what wonderful. Book? Uh, a couple of books I've been reading that I've told you about. One is called Paul and the gift. That was the biggest one. It's a, it's an academic, really kind of a pretty technical book on scripture on St. Paul and mm. Paul's treatment of, grace and the gift of the passion and then redemption in Christ. And what does Paul mean by that? And how do we understand it? And it's, it's a really helpful book that clarifies things that are oftentimes vague and ambiguous in the way that scripture scholars write. So it was really helpful. Yeah. I found it pretty interesting. Yeah, I read it a like while ago. So, so I read, <laughs> I don't want to get too much in the weeds. I read a little bit of that, uh, that book dominion that our friend, I think his name is Justin recommended to me. He's the guy who, was away from his faith. Mm. Really smart yeah, that's guy. Right. Yeah. Read that and that kind of helped him come back to his Catholic faith. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys had fun and had it uh successful silent retreat. It yeah, it like. was good. How were how were things here? Did you uh did well, you, I mean you like... stuck me I, I had to do a podcast with Father Sean. What did you guys talk about? You know, and I 
I just get sad when it's not with you. Right. We had a great time and, and it was actually a really good podcast. Um, but it's not the same, don't, you know? Don't flatter me with your it's lies. It's just not the same, Ryan. I just, I... Ryan. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. What has been going on? Uh, oh, Gianna. Um, so we put her on her stomach last night and for the first time she rolled over to her back by herself. Wow. Which is a big feat. Like now we got to get her to go from her back to her stomach, but that was awesome. And now she's giggling and laughing at dad and like a, you know, like kind of a little chuckle attempted laugh, which just makes my life. Um, And then the part that I should have started off with, but to all the listeners out there, we want to apologize. And I know last week's episode on poverty, we're trying to look into it. Or uh, Can Catholics Be Wealthy was the title of it. Um, but I do know that for a little while there, we had some audio difficulties. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. And the um, last episode that came out, the unfortunate part was at the time, a lot of times we'll try um, to record a few episodes ahead of schedule and then launch those. And therefore, we don't really listen to them um, until things come out and we hear about it. and. We just had a, a few technical difficulties. And unfortunately, when we did that, we were three episodes recorded when we realized we needed a new cord that had to be plugged in, which now we have and our audio should be good. But we apologize for that. If we can fix that, we will. Otherwise, we may just remove that episode and uh, start getting these out there. But And, and the last one with uh, Father Sean was, I think, the first one that was successful. Better. So we're good. Uh, so There's always a problem with the cord. It is. It's yeah. Steph called me and she was like, this is brutal. I was like, what was brutal? It's, it was unfortunate because that was one of my, it's like one of my favorite topics that I mm. love to pick your brain on is can Catholics be wealthy and the poverty discussion and all that stuff. So we may have to circle back on it if we can't fix it someday. You know, I always wanted to start a band called the Wealthy Celibates. <laughs> That's, that would happened be everything. Yet. It hasn't happened yet. You, the companions can go like on a road show. You can be like a touring priest brotherhood, sell out Red Rocks and stuff. That'd be awesome. Sell out Red Rocks. You did start singing in, uh, oh, gosh. you could have your $10 million in the if homily. I, if I had $10 <laughs> That's million. Right. Dollars. Um, okay. So speaking of that, we are heading into Advent. We are. And Archbishop Aquila has asked all, and Correct me on the details here. Okay. But I want to pick your brain on it and kind of what it means. Because this was news to me. You were gone all week. So obviously, I assume you came back Friday, read an email that said, hey, this is the direction I want everyone to go in. Well, we had more of a heads up than that. I've known for a couple weeks, at least. Yeah. Just just hold hold out on me. Sorry. Um, No, it's... uh, But it was news to me this weekend. So um, going into Advent, he wants you all the priests in the archdiocese to focus on um, the word choice. What is, what is Charisma. The charisma. Which is a Greek word. And he's gonna, it's going to be kind of a four-step process. We'll walk through it. But um, I would love to kind of pick your brain on that. And, and really, is it common for the archbishop to give like reckon, recommended, but not really recommended, um, homily direction or where he wants to go during a certain season? He certainly can. 
I don't, you know, I've only really um, been a priest under Archbishop Aquila, and he will do this from time to time. Um, I don't know across the the country or the world if it's if it's very common with other bishops. I just don't know. But but he can do that, okay. and I think you know, I'm as you know, I love preaching. Preaching's kind of my heart and soul. Yeah, and so if I could just read for like two or three hours a day and just really work on my preaching, I'd be a very happy priest. Um, so I don't love when I'm kind of told like, this is what we want you to do, but I will say Archbishop has chosen a really great theme Yeah, and, and I, and I get why he's doing it. And he's, he's really trying to move our diocese. And this is, this really is a great thing for all of us as Catholics. There've been a lot of books that have come out over the last, you know, really even 20 years or so where everyone kind of knows that the church needs to get its act together. And so when I was in seminary, Father John Neppel and I, one of our big jokes was, can we just try to do something that doesn't do what a vacuum does? That's right. Yes. Yeah. Please. You know what, you know what a vacuum does? That's right. That's, it gets you in trouble in your that's household. Right. That's right. I can't, my mother won't let me say that word. That's right. My mom thinks that's a swear word. <laughs> I disagree, Mother Teresa. Yes. But anyway, so the, uh, everybody kind of knows the church needs to get its act together. And one of the things we need to do there's been a bunch of books that were big about this. One was called From Maintenance to Mission. And the title is just kind of self-explanatory, where the church was kind of in maintenance mode. It's like, hey, everything's fine. You know, people come to church. Yeah. Let's mow the lawn, make sure that the carpet gets cleaned. Just kind of go about life. Yeah. But we weren't on mission. We weren't out there like saying, hey, our job is to, is to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. So that was a big one. And then um, there's been other ones along the way, Rebuilt is one that was pretty popular and well-known out there. But there was one written recently by uh, the theology faculty of the University of Bismarck. I think there was someone behind it, but I won't say it just because he, I think he wanted to go anonymous, the real author. But... Oh, I'm so intrigued. I know. Don't you love when I give cryptic <laughs> yeah. little things like that? Yeah. But uh, that book, though, uh, it's called From Christendom to Apostolic Mission. And Archbishop had all the priests of the diocese read that. We've been talking about it a lot. And, you know, f- for me, I came out of a world uh, of focus. Uh, and, and focus has been not just talking about this, but doing it, you know, for uh, over 20 years. Yeah. And so this is, this is just kind of, for me, this is not something new. It's something that this is why I became a priest. Was that we, there, there is something really urgent and important and there's a, there's a message that is going to change people's lives and save them. And when I, I don't know, you weren't really raised in the church, but for a lot of us, you know, not to pick on the last generation, there's a lot of really great priests in, in the last generation. But when I was growing up, priests even I love, and I still to this day very much respect, you went to mass and the homilies were really kind of uh, chicken soup for the Christian soul. Totally. That's what they were. It was, it was kind of like a nice story about someone who had a rough day and someone loved them and really was thoughtful towards them. And then, you know, the, the point of the homily was don't be mean. <laughs> and that's, you know, I agree with that message, but that's not the Christian message. Why do you think it, it took that turn when it did? That's a really good question. Cause I like get, if you're looking at it from like, you know, the sixties, Vatican II kind of thing. Like, yeah. what was the turning point where, was it that whole like 
peace, love, hippie vibe influenced the church or, or what is it that? I, I mean, obviously it's a complex uh, reality. And again, this is not, I don't mean to speak in overgeneralizations, but those of you who are raised Catholic, I bet you feel this way. If you're about my age, a little older, a little younger, uh, we grew up in a world where, and, and I'm sorry, if you're, if you're part of the generation out there that likes these songs, my generation really hates these songs. And so we would show up at mass and, and the music, you know, some of us might like the familiarity of them, but the big songs were like Eagle's Wings. You don't know these ones. Everybody no, else out there, they no all know these. Everyone is. who's listening, they all know these songs. <laughs> he will raise you up on Eagle's Wings. That song was played every other weekend for the first 20 years of my life. Wow. I mean, it, it was so popular. And there was a group of musicians, the St. Louis Jesuits, who put out a bunch of songs that were, here I am. What they sounded like was, it kind of felt like Dan Fogarty, like became Catholic. <laughs> and so, and I don't, you know, I need to get hot water. We get a lot of emails on this one. I love it. But I think what happened was those songs, a lot of them were scripturally based. Eagle's Wings comes from Isaiah chapter 40. Um, there, there, there's a lot of, uh, and here I am, Lord, comes from 1 Samuel, where Samuel is called, 1 Samuel 3, I believe, when Samuel the prophet is called by God uh, in the temple at Shiloh. And they're scripturally based, but the, 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 the melodies from my generation, and I'm going to stop caveat, I'm just going to say it, they, they made it feel like church was not something serious. It made it feel like a nursery rhyme or just cutesy. It was the kind yeah. of thing... And, and I grew up in a world, and I don't know if it's always been this way. Maybe it's always been this way. I don't think so, though. When I read history, I don't think it's this way in history. But church was a place where you were taught to be nice, and you sang kind of folksy, kind of tacky songs. And, it made, and one more point I would make about this, for us as men, I think this is one of the reasons why men don't go to church, is we, I grew up associating religion with middle-aged women. Hey, oh. yeah, I, yeah, right. Yeah. I just did. And no, totally. And so, so this whole movement though is saying it's not meant to cast judgment on that generation. I think the way we got there, I didn't answer that. I think there's cycles, you know, how like, mm -hmm. like if you, um, you think of America, uh, Rome did the same thing. Civilizations would be my basic answer. Civilizations have cycles where they're the newcomer on the stage. They're nobody. And if they embrace virtue, so they don't have money, they don't have advantages, they don't have a strong military in a country, whatever it might be, but they're hardworking. Yeah. They work hard, they're disciplined, they care about their families. When, when there's a civilization like that, those virtues create success. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. And, but what happens though, and I think we're seeing this in the United States is, one of the trends, it's obviously much more complex than just this, but there's a, there's a trend, right? Where there's a generation that never demands anything of anybody else, doesn't complain, works hard, gets ahead. They get to a certain level in life, their children push it to the next level. They work this, but at a certain point you get to a generation that's spoiled. Got it. And I think, you know, there's much more complex reasons for this. We could talk about the Second World War, uh, the movement in America to suburban life, which was, yep. I think, a big part of this. Uh, the Second Vatican Council, the sexual revolution. There's a lot of things that happened. 
But I actually think Catholicism became established. There were Catholic churches everywhere. It was organized. People went to churches. Churches were full. And very frankly, I think we forgot about the gospel. Hmm. We lived in a nice country where people treat each other nicely by and large. Right? Again, given the right caveats of all the stuff in our society and the debates about our history right now, of course, we have those problems. But, but I honestly think just Catholicism came uh, domestic. It, it, we stopped seeing it as something radical. Do you think it also, I mean, the only thing I do know um, about Catholicism from my childhood, so my mom was born in 1957, and um, she always had the story of the nun with the ruler, and like church was super proper, yep. you know, you were dressed to the nine, very, very strict. And that, again, is a total generalization of San Francisco, downtown San Francisco, you know, North Beach, Marina District. But everybody says that. Uh, yeah, that's the vibe. So is that also, could that also be the pendulum reacting, I do going so, from yeah. her to you to, you yeah, know. To the generation when, between, really. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, your mom probably is actually just the generation behind me. Yeah. But anyway, the, yeah, I do think that. Like there is, you know, these are, these are oversimplifications, but the, the church, you know, in the 20th century, there's a lot of nuances here. But Catholicism in the United States, at least, felt like this machine. It was organized anywhere you go, right? It was, it was disciplined. It was organized. Um, and anywhere you went, the mass was the same, just like today. But it was reverent and it was prayerful. It was a little stern. Sorry, you said when was this? At the beginning of the 20th century, really. Okay. And leading up really all the way. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I think, this is my own theory. I didn't live through this. There's a lot of good in that world. You know, when you talk to people like my mom or my grandmother, or you talk to Father Goronsky, who has passed, they loved that world. Yeah. The church had reverence for God. They had awe in his presence. And what kind of happened was it went overnight from, you know, this, this majestic transcendent thing. And then it went to, you know, Sister Benedicta lost her habit, which is her religious outfit. She's up there in jeans and a t-shirt with a tambourine. And she's like, and we're singing like, Jesus is just all right with me. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I will say, I think, I think with the generation before kind of things went that direction, things don't happen in a vacuum. I think that part of why that happened is I think the church was a little rigid and harsh. Yeah. And I wasn't there. So I want to give that caveat, but that's my impression is the church was rigid and harsh. And there's a thousand caveats we could give. But the point is, is now, you know, Archbishop Aquila is right about this. And there's lots of movements out there doing this. You know, the, the neocatechumenal way is a part of this. Focus is a part of this. Communion liberation is a part of this. I think our parish at Lourdes is a part of this. I think St. Louis is on its way there. Um, but we, we fight about the dumbest things. When you, when you forget that there's a mission, when you forget that people are, that the whole purpose of their life is the person of Jesus Christ, and that the world needs us. And we have this message that's incredible and powerful. When you don't have that, people fight about, ah, the new priest came and he moved the statue three inches to the left. What a jerk. Totally. And, and so the, the, the archbishop, along with others, John Paul II and Benedict were very big on this. I think Francis is too. If we got we to we get on a mission. 
right? We've got to, we got to stop pretending that everything's just fine. And people in the, so I, I'm going to throw it back to you because I could talk forever. But what's the, what is Christianity about? And I think if we are not on mission, we forget what our faith is actually about. And I think this can take all kinds of different formats. And I'll be, I'm going to be a little controversial today. I think, you know, the liturgy, for instance, is at the heart of our faith. It's super important. Going to mass, the mass belongs to God. It's not us. It's at the heart. I also think that when people forget we have a mission, they obsess. They obsess about these tiny, minute things in the liturgy. And they just obsess about them. And I don't, I'm not a fan of that. So when you say, um, what, like in your words, what would be the mission? The salvation of the world. So like if you're focused on the salvation of the world, then, and how does that look? Um, and you're like, so for instance, I think, you know, like in the way a priest preaches or the way a community works. So one direction is to go, this is when it goes to the right in our current moment, the way it looks when things swing to the right. And I, again, I don't like the right and the left, but they're convenient terms. <laughs> When things swing to the right, what happens is people freak out about chapel veils and hmm. communion patents and morality, honestly. They have a huge emphasis on morality. None of those things are wrong. None of those things are bad. But I just don't think it's where the emphasis could go, should go. Okay. On the left, what happens when things veer to the left, people tend to think, well, no, one's, no one needs to be saved. And, when, and Jesus is, yeah, we're Christians, but whatever, it's all the same. What we really should do is just love each other. Got it. And so in both ways, the mission's destroyed. And so, but if you're on mission, or like, like for priests, the way we preach, you need to preach about all those things. You should preach about morality. That's necessary. But if you're always, if you come to church and you're just like, you know, stop smoking weed, guys. Just knock it off, right? Uh, <laughs> Or let's, let's go through the seven points of how gossip destroys a person's reputation. That's not good news. Right. What really changes hearts, and I, I felt this, we had a, I thought mass on Sunday, we talked about tithing here at Lourdes. And actually that was really powerful because I was happy my homily came together and we were talking, I was talking about how tithing has to do with who, who do you worship? Mm-hmm. And where's your heart? And is God really the first thing in your heart? And when we talk about the good news of the gospel, the good news is not that, wow, guess what? You sin a lot. Yeah. Right now people, of course, need to realize that sin is real. That's not the good news. The good news is that the miracle of God's love has saved the world and it changes everything. Yeah. So I think, and then one last point I would just make on this is think of a congregation. You talk about this when you came to Lord's. But I think um, a church that is on mission is outward focused. When you see someone who walks into the church, you've never seen them before, and they look like, you know, they, they pick up the missile and they don't really know what's going on. What do you do? Do you go and talk to that person and say, hey, can I help you? You look like a little, you use a little help. Let me help you find where we're at. Mm-hmm. And thanks for coming. I'm so glad you're here. My name's Patrick. Yeah. Most Catholics don't do that. You know this, you go to Flatirons. What happens at Flatirons if you're a new person there? Dude, they give you a, a welcome or Red Rocks, yeah. gift. Yeah. Literally, they, they raise your, you have to raise your hand. Well, they say, is anyone new here? First time, blah, blah, blah. And, and you, you know, all of a sudden all these hands go up and they're like, okay, great. We have 
um, a group of welcome committee back there and they have a gift for you and you get over there and it's all swag and it's all, I mean, it's a, you're, you're looped in right away. Yeah. Cause they know what the mission is and the mission, the mission for evangelicals is the same one we have. We would have, there's some nuances of course, but they know that they're, the church exists to save the world. Yeah. And they would use the word the church even differently than we would, but that's a whole nother topic. So the kerygma is like, so here's my question to you. Let's come back to the kerygma. So the, the kerygma, this because remember you said a couple podcasts ago that we had to have a weird word for everything. <laughs> for everything, yeah. yeah. So, so let's just put it this way. So the word gospel, what does the word gospel mean? The good news. Good news, right? Yes. So Christianity is good news. If, if you're in an elevator and you've got a crucifix on the outside of your sweater, you're going down 10 floors. Yep. And the guy next to you says, hey, uh, I see, I see you have that crucifix on there. Uh, why are you a Christian? Like, what does it, what does it mean to be a Christian? What would you tell him? Well, truth be told, not to derail, uh, that was kind of the whole purpose of this podcast was at the time, remember when we started this, yeah. which by the way, we didn't even mention that we're officially at one year right now. Um, but, um, I always said, like I joked about in the apartment that I lived downtown, being yeah. in the elevator, and it was that exact same scenario. And being able to, if you can quickly explain something, but yep. then to be able to say like, well, here, listen to this podcast. Like here's hours or something to listen to that helps explain all the yep. above. But I think for me, um, if that is me, and I had to get my elevator pitch, um, Out of all the dumb moves I made in life um, and, and focused on in my life, God has been the only thing that will withstand the test of time. People will come, go, die, all the above. You'll lose things. And God and Jesus are the only things that are constant. Yeah. And that you ultimately strive for and find true happiness in. Yeah. So I like this. So if you've gone to Lord's, and this is good, the... N.T. Wright, who I like to talk about a lot, not a Catholic, he's an Anglican theologian. He was a former bishop. He's an Anglican priest. N.T. Wright has a great little book, and it's one of his really, really popular books. It's just a small, and I really mean it this time. <laughs> it's but just it, a 200-page poem. It's not Beautiful. You still have to read that. <laughs> yeah, right. But it's a little book called Simply Good News. Okay. And the, one of the best, I preach on this probably twice a year, and I'll use this image stolen from him is he says, you know, what happens for most people is that the gospel goes from being good news and what we make it is good advice. Interesting. Okay. Which I love. And he's like, that's, that's a huge problem. Yeah. The gospel is not good advice. It's good news. Right. And so the, on the cover of this book, at least my version of it, there's a newspaper because the gospel is news. It's not, it's not, it's not advice. It has advice. Certainly it does. I mean, I could open up a ton of passages that have advice, but that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is something happened that changed everything. And so we need to be able as Christians to understand it. We need to understand our faith this way, right? And this is why I think sometimes I come from a more conservative Catholicism and I'm critical of my own camp. And I think my own camp does this really badly right now where 
Catholicism is reduced purely to morality. Yeah. Stop sleeping with your girlfriend. Don't use contraception. Be pro-life. Be against transgenderism. It's all morality. And I believe all those things. But that's not the gospel. Right? The gospel is the good news. And so what, what is the good news? So John Ricardo breaks it down this way. And you could do this in different ways. But he says there's four movements. The first there's, one there's is... what? Four movements? Four movements. Four okay. parts, you could say. Four mm-hmm, pillars mm-hmm. of uh, the kerygma. The, and the kerygma just means the basic gospel message. What, what, what is the good news? Someone said, hey, I know that word gospel means good news. Why is it good news? Yeah. The, the kerygma is the answer to that. You know, the kerygma, so, so John Ricardo says, there's four movements, and he's Father John Ricardo is a priest. He's a great guy. Um, but he, he starts something called Acts 29, and he says, created is the first movement. Captured is the second. Rescued is the third. And then the fourth is response. And this is his way of doing it. You wouldn't have to do it this way. But, but when you read the New Testament, you know, um, a lot of these elements are there. I think of, you know, as so I turn, I opened my Bible to Acts 17. Acts 17 is where Paul preaches to the city of Athens. And he hits some of these points. Um, but he talks, about, um, he talks about how there's only one God who created all the world. So there's created. Right? And then he talks about idolatry, which for Jews, the worship of false gods and captured what John Ricardo means by captured father, John Ricardo is original sin. Is it you and I are slaves to sin? Yeah. Something's wrong. You and I talk about this on this podcast all the time. I'm kind of worn out today. Um, and like, there's times where I just feel like, man, like the world is just such a hard place. Mm-hmm. And the real problem isn't just because the economy's bad or because, um, I don't know. Inflation. Inflation. Is it 8 billion percent? That's not the problem. The problem is something's wrong with me. Right? There's something, there's something where I have been overcome by greed and pride and hatred and lust. Uh, these kinds of things. So, but anyway, for the Jews, idolatry is all about that. Okay. Worship of false gods. So I worship money. I worship power. I worship pleasure. Uh, so Paul talks about that in Acts 17. Uh, and then um, Paul talks about how, because there's one God, he says, we are made in his image and likeness. And in verse 29, he says, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, a representation by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked but now he commands, so Paul kind of jumps right here to the response. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. And then he jumps back to the rescued. Uh, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And this he has given assurance to all men by raising him from the dead. Um, so Paul, so, so, and here's the, the basic message that the kerygma really is about. That one doesn't go into the crucifixion as much, but the basic message of the gospel is, hey, you were created good and not just you, the whole world was created good. Don't think, I don't know that the modern world always believes that. 
Yeah. You know, we, we think the environment's good, but we don't think that people are good. Right. You were captured, right? Something's wrong mm-hmm. All for all of us. And the problem isn't the economy. And the problem isn't structural things, right? The problem is sin. And sin holds us as slaves. And then the good news is that when the Son of God died and rose from the dead, he set you free. And that you, you are loved. Your life has meaning and purpose and value. And there is a story that the world, right? There's good news. There's not just good advice. There's good news. Hey, guess what? One of the biggest parts of the good news is that all of us are scared of death. Yeah. If I live a good life and I'm successful, I become a wealthy Catholic, wealthy celibate. What's the point? Someday I'm going to die. Yeah. Well, guess what? There's good news. There's, there's, there's someone who conquered death and he gave the power to all of us that we could share in that and that we could live forever. That's really good news. Right. And because of that, now I have to live differently. How's Mm. that? How's that sound? I, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking right now of, um, and again, putting myself back in that elevator and I think really kind of reflecting on your homily this weekend and tithing and where is your um, relationship with God in that piece. Yeah. And I just think, um, and trying to apply these four pillars and, and, and have that explanation. I know it's even a hot topic when you start to talk about tithing, even among the Catholic community and how, sure. and how that gets perceived. I mean, to a lot of people, good news would be, I get to keep my 10%. Mm-hmm. Right. And like the good news would be like, oh, that crucifix you're wearing is going to get me a raise in my job. Yeah. You know, like that type of thing. So it really is, um, it's an art to massage that message in a way that, yeah. that would, cause you're, you have to like flip the literally like the world on its head to like right. not, you're no longer focused on such secular concepts. And um, that is the good news. Yeah. But it's so counterintuitive that it's almost like you use it as you're like, we always talk around here of how to get an elevator pitch for classical. It's like you need to get a hook to then allow, allow the two-hour story. Yeah. You know? And it, and it is um, because it's definitely not, if someone doesn't understand faith, I think they would misunderstood or totally lose the mark of like, what do you mean the good news? Like, what does yeah. that mean? Yeah. And so... So really the good news is that Jesus died for you and he rose from the dead. And in in his death on the cross, right, he dealt with the world's problem, the problem of evil. And that's why you have to have that second step in there, the the captured. Yeah. Is and I I'll talk at baptisms a lot about this. If you don't know that there's a problem, you don't need the solution. Yep. Right. So okay. so if someone comes to me and they're like, uh, or if they came to you. This is a better example. If they came to you and they said, they're selling hair plugs. Come on. You'd be like, I don't need that. Maybe. I might. I'm might. thinning out. I'm thinning out. How about, how about we said, uh, stressful, man. How about Bernadette Prohaska? She's got this there you go. thick, full head of hair, this beautiful hair. That's right. So Bernadette Prohaska. If someone came to Bernadette and said, hey, we have the cure for female baldness. Yeah. Bernadette would be like, have you seen my head? That's right. Uh, like, yeah, great. Don't need it. That's right. Yeah. But for someone like me, I might be like, 
if they're like, hey, we found the cure for male baldness, I'd be like, that is good news. Well, like, does it cost less than 250 bucks and I don't need companion's approval? Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and so I think the, you know, I think the 6 p.m., I kind of said this better than at the other masses this Sunday, but part of the good news around tithing is in framing this right way is why, why is money this issue? It's because I always think that thing is going to make me happy. Yeah. Right? And everybody knows it. I think, oh man, if I just had that relationship, then I'd be mm-hmm. happy. If I just had that car, then I'd be happy. If I just had that second home in Aspen, yep. then I'd be happy. And the truth is, no, you wouldn't. Right. Because you weren't made for those things. You were made for something much greater than any of those things. Totally. You were made for God. And so tithing is part of the good news. I don't usually, you know, if somebody's like, if I'm in an elevator, they're like, hey, what's Christianity about? You're a priest. I'm like, let's talk about a tithe. (laughs) What do you do with your money? Let's talk about your money. Sign up for online giving. (laughs) Right? And, And honestly, I think what all of us know deep down, we don't think about it always, but uh, what we want out of life is we want to know we're loved. And what if I told you that despite your, the, the most broken part of you, right? That part of you that you don't want anyone else to know about that you're embarrassed and scared of, you know, if I told you that Jesus knows that, He's seen it. He knows it actually, he knows it's actually far worse than you think it is. Yeah. It's actually way worse. And he loves you still more than you could imagine. Yeah. Right. It's so funny. Like we all have heard that kind of a little bit. That's right. But I always laugh because preaching as a priest, that message never, every time if I hit, if I preach it well, the whole congregation will be crying. Yeah. Even the tough guys like you, you know, you'll be at the back and be like, man, I don't know why Gianna's crying so much. That's right. But they will, because everyone, the good news of our redemption is you are worthwhile. You are loved and you are loved far greater. And you can't just say these things. I think one of the things that happens, it becomes tacky if we just say them in a cheap way. Mm -hmm. But if it's real, if it's real, Oh, it hits a different note. There's nothing better. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I, I feel like um, if I was going to press back in any other way, and if you said the good news is Jesus died on the cross for you and you were loved. Um, and it does go further, but keep going. Right. Uh, so, okay, if I just take that snapshot image of it, I think the, the natural reaction of, Someone that doesn't understand it would say, and I guess I'm, I'm asking more for advice on how to answer this, would be, um, well, that's great. That was, you know, 2,000 years ago, and I still have plenty of problems in my life now. Yep. So, like, he came here and suffered and died for us and all that stuff. However, you know, I still have a lot of bad things happening. Yeah, and you got to follow that up. That's a good follow-up question. But so, so some of the details in this world are still being worked out. And they will be till the end of time when Christ returns in glory. But, um, but if you really came to a place that you believe that, I think of there's a line in First John. Let me see if I can find it really quick. Uh, I should have this one memorized. I meant to memorize this recently. It always comes back to bite you when the Holy Spirit says, hey, memorize this verse. And then you don't. 
And he's like, see, see, can you use that right now? While you, while you look that up, I think what's so interesting about this though, of that, that tension between, in your example of the right and the left of you're either focused on morality or you're focused on like, Oh, no big deal. Like love wins. Um, Mm -hmm. if you focus on for somebody that does not understand Christianity at all, never understood it. You know, they get the broad stroke. Okay, great. If you hit them with too much morality at the gate, it only validates what they already perceive, you know, judgments and rules and regulations and this and that. Yep. Um, but then if you hit them on the other side, it's just kind of an empty, an empty feel. So having that art to be able to kind of walk through them and what you're, what you're doing here with it is where you said there's the follow-up question to that. Like, um, yep. but really kind of showing like what you're saying with that homily, when you deliver that message, everybody's crying and it's heartfelt and it hits that different note. That's when it's, it's personal. It's not about knowing all the scripture and it's not about, you know, just we're going to sing Kumbaya together. Like it's not that it is that actual relationship that you experienced as a Christian with Jesus. And I, I'm not going to look for it right now because it's hard to double multitask, but it says, but in first John, I think it's in chapter three, maybe four, but it says we have come to know and to believe in the love that God has for us. I hate you. You just, I, I mean, you, you decided to not look for it, but you still have the verse memorized and well, kind you of, just don't, don't know. know the if it's, I don't, don't know the know address. <laughs> yeah. But it's, but we've, we've come to know and to yeah. believe in the love that God has for us. What if you really like, like, and think of it this way. I think so many people don't even realize this, but deep down, they don't really know that they're loved. That's and, right. and not just by like a mother or a spouse, but what if, what if the thing, the being who created all things that exist yep. thinks that he, who, he loves you more than anything. I mean, you'd be unstoppable. You would, it would change everything. That's and right. what would happen, and this is part of the good news. So people say, well, my life's still a mess. Guess what? You wouldn't care. Right. It's, it's kind of like, imagine you're the, the nerdy high school kid. And you find out that the prom queen has a giant crush on you. Winning. Right? That, that's just a tiny thing. Imagine if the God who said, let there be light. I get emotional just talking about this. If the God who said, let there be light and created light itself, he died for you. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why the early church said nothing else matters. And when you get the good news, the good news is that it's kind of like kids, you know, Gianna will get to that age where she'll say, she'll throw a fit because, you know, she doesn't get dessert or something. But imagine if you had a little girl who grew up in a home where her parents didn't love her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the gospel is much more like a child who didn't think that they were loved. Right. And so, so what happens in the, in the New Testament with the resurrection of Christ is death, resurrection, and the sending of the Holy Spirit is not only is our, is sin dealt with, and I want to talk about that as part of the good news in a second, but um, we become adopted sons and daughters. So, so people sometimes say, well, the good news is my sins are forgiven. That's great. Imagine if you're an orphan and you broke a window, right? And the, the owner says, hey, you know what? It's okay. I paid for it. Don't worry about it. I forgive you. That's great. Yeah. The, the, the good news of Christianity is like, yeah, God paid for the window. Then he adopted you as his son. Yeah, you're no longer an orphan. Yeah, and he brought you into his house. Yep. 
And now you're no longer an orphan, you're a son. I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff we deal with. And, and I do want to highlight one other aspect of the good news. Imagine, this is why part of the, the captured, the original sin thing. What Jesus did on the cross is he dealt with evil. What do you mean? So Jesus on the cross is not just showing us that he loves us. He's doing that. But what he also is doing is that he is condemning sin in the flesh. So uh, in Romans, St. Paul talks about this. Uh, so my Bible got, I think I told you all on the podcast, oh, yeah. my Bible got run over by a car. So I have a blank Bible in front of me. Oh. For God has done what the law, Romans 8, 3, weakened, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. So I'll I'll unpack this in a second. He condemned sin in the flesh. So on the cross, Jesus doesn't just show us that he loves us. On the cross, the problem with the whole world, Jesus drew sin onto himself is one way of saying it. You have to be careful here. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians where People misinterpret this, but it's in Corinthians five. But anyway, um, Jesus doesn't become sinful. He is sinless. That's who he is. What, what the Greek here says is that he became an offering for sin. But, but basically what the New Testament is saying is that the Old Testament couldn't really deal with sin. What Jesus did on the cross is he dealt with the problem. Oh, wow. And okay. so when he's on the cross, what happened is that sin was condemned on the cross. So think of it this way. Most of us, right, when we think of like the criminal justice system, I don't know if most of us, but some of us at least. I don't know. We just probably don't think too much about it. Um, and we're kind of like, yeah, condemnation's not really a good thing. But imagine if, you know, Imagine if you, your family was, were the victims of something really awful that happened. Yeah. When, when the, the culprit of that is condemned, that's like the best day ever. Right. Right. If you're, if you're a parent and like your daughter, something really terrible happened to your daughter, the day that that sentence comes down, that's a really good thing. Yeah. So what the, what the New Testament teaches us, another great passage, if you want to read about this, is Colossians chapter two. But Jesus condemned sin on the cross. And so even though there's still problems in our life, the thing that held us in slavery, the thing that makes our lives difficult, the problems that are the deeper problems of life, part of the good news of Jesus Christ is that that thing that hates you, that holds you in slavery, was condemned by God. And that's really good news. That's powerful. And, but there's still more work to be done in that process is what you're saying. And, and on the final day. Yeah. And now Jesus is, has inaugurated by his resurrection. Jesus started what we call the new creation. And basically what we mean by that is that it doesn't feel like it to us, but Jesus is making all things as they should be. He's making all things right. And the sign of that in the world is when that happens to a Christian. 
Interesting. Right. And so as a Christian, right, when someone encounters the love of God in Christ, they know they're loved. I see this in kids, you know, it's like, yeah, you can kind of tell when a kid isn't sure that they're loved. Everything's wrong. Yeah. Everything's wrong. But kids who grew up in a good home, you know, and like, there's still problems, but they're healthy. Life is yep. good. Um, but when a Christian encounters the redemption in Christ, they are made new. Yep. And they're able to receive into themselves, right, a love and an affirmation and a redemption that seems impossible. And they're transformed by it. And so the sign of that then is they change their life. But this is, and this is going all the way back. Sorry, I've kind of preached to everybody today. But going back to the beginning, I think the problem is what we usually preach about in churches is response. Interesting. And yeah. we, say, we say, hey, go change your life. Yeah. But you're not supposed to go change your life. You're supposed to encounter the love of Jesus speaking into the darkest place in your life and in your heart and soul that says you are loved. And on the cross, Jesus isn't just there. And maybe I'll just, all my last comment here will be, the first time this happened for me, it's kind of an adult. I knew these things. My mom taught me all this as a kid. But as an adult, and I wasn't really an adult, I was a teenager, thought I was an adult. But really, it was kind of my senior year of high school. In my senior year of high school, people have heard me say this, I looked at the crucifix a million times. A million times. But something changed inside of me in my senior year of high school where I would go to that church I always went to and the music was terrible and it was, you know, Dan Fogelberg rocking out about like, here I am, Lord, or Lord of the Dance or something. That's the worst one, by the way. Lord of the Dance is the worst song ever. <laughs> but they'd be rocking out on that. And then the homily was about, you know, chicken soup for the Christian soul. And I was just bored. But my senior year, I saw the cross in a way I never saw it before. And I don't know how to describe it. Most people don't. Yeah. But I just knew. I knew I was loved. And I knew that something was true on that cross. And I knew that I, I knew that I actually didn't know something. I knew there was something profound and beautiful up there that I didn't fully understand, but I knew it was important and I knew it was about my life. And that was the start of everything for me. It was just a simple act of seeing. Don't you feel, I think it's, um, I mean, in my own experience, but it's still one of my favorite things about RCIA with adults yep. that come into the church and at confirmation, seeing them in that same, you know, it's the buildup of all RCIA classes, but to, to truly start to grasp that feeling yep. of being loved bigger than anything that exists on the earth. Yeah. And you brought life. it, Paul makes this point in Ephesians chapter two. He does this, it's, I mean, it's similar to the charisma we've been talking about, but in Ephesians 2, St. Paul says that at one point, all you guys were strangers. You didn't, you didn't belong to God. And he said, you, he even says, you had no hope in the world. Wow. Yeah. He says, but now what happened in Christ Jesus is you who once were far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. And he, t and he goes on and he says, you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but members of the household of God. You weren't just forgiven, you were adopted. 
Yeah. And he, and he talks about how with the apostles and the prophets uh, and Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. So, so God doesn't just forgive us on the cross. He doesn't just show us he loves us. He literally creates a family. And deep down, you know, you know, all of us want good news on the level of you got a raise. Right. And you'd love it if, you know, all traffic has been shut down on I-25 except for Patrick. <laughs> and he'll be he the only his own car. Toll road. He'll be yeah, you'll be the only car <laughs> ever free. allowed again. Yeah. That's right. That would be good news. But a much deeper thing is you actually belong. Yeah. And so I the, the longer I'm a priest, the longer I go through life. So many people, even so many people, they look like they have their act together. They don't they don't think they belong anywhere or to anyone. Yeah. So well, I think that's um as you're saying this, I think that's the deeper version of what I'm trying to say in my little elevator pitch of yep. like, you know, I had so much focus on um secular things and everything was it was always my crutch that kept getting kicked out. Mom died, football was over, all that kind of yeah. stuff. And when I say like God is the only thing that is constant, um, it was me. It when I finally started to realize the love that God has for me, and I think I see that now, especially with the way that Steph was raised and the way that I was raised. Yeah. And her mom did such a phenomenal job of making sure, and her dad did. They did a phenomenal job of making sure the kids understood that they were loved and God loved them. Yep. Right. Most importantly. For me, when I grew up, and it wasn't that I, I knew my mom and my dad loved me, but I came from a very divorced family, a lot of heavy stuff um, that I, I think it leads you to kind of like grasp for anything to feel that affection, feel that totally. kind of love. And so as you do that and you reach out and you're like, okay, I'm getting noticed, I'm feeling loved, I'm feeling worthy. Um, and then all of a sudden it's over. And now, now all of a sudden you see these highs and lows yeah. that you just can't keep up with. Feels so great in the moment. And then boom, the economy cr crumbles. All, like whatever, whatever happens in life. Yeah, you lose your mom who's the like rock of your whole life. That's right. Yeah. Gone in an instant. And then now I'm like, whoa, what do I do? Who loves me? Yeah. What is my life worth? Uh, it has no meaning anymore. And what's my identity, right? That's right. Yeah. That 100%. Um, wow. It's okay. So I started saying, so then as a, as a wrap to kind of circle back on this. So you'll spend the next four weeks here at Lowell, every archdiocese. Every person in the diocese. Does that's right. Up. So yeah. So next week we'll be on created and talking okay. about God created the world. Good. Got it. Monsignor Glenn used to say that the hardest dogma of all of Catholic teaching was that God created all things good. Mm. And he would joke about, Really, even like that guy in the room across from me? Yeah, I don't think he made him good. <laughs> yeah. But he would take it deeper and he would say, usually it's actually about ourselves. We don't believe God really made us good. Wow. And, and I think that's true. You know, I think yeah. that's, that's something all of us wrestle with. So created is next week. The following weekend will be captured and how sin makes us slaves. And I, I do think, you know, this is why it, it's a grace, honestly, in some ways. Sounds odd to say but there's almost a grace that you went through so much suffering in your life. Cause I think, I think the, the biggest obstacle to a lot of people encountering Jesus is everything's great. Yeah. 
I don't need God. Like I've, that's right. I mean, I mean, ex Catholic kids who went to Catholic school. I meet a lot of ex Catholics who went to Catholic school and they're out there and they're like, what do I need God for? I make six figures. Yeah. I've got washboard abs. I'm dating a beautiful girl. Don't need hair plugs. Don't that need hair plugs. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they, everything's fine. So you can't, it's hard to have good news. If you think, if you think you're already there. That's right. And that's why, that's why our culture is so dangerous because our culture is zoned out and drugged out just on pleasure. Yeah. It's, I mean, it consumes our lives. You're inundated with it and all messaging. Yeah. So created, wow. captured, rescued, and then that that demands a response. And then response. And then at that point, you can go home and start decorating your house with Christmas with stuff. With Christmas stuff, <laughs> starting December 17th. <laughs> And just remember, yeah, like, but I, I do, I can't, I can never say that enough. Response is the fourth part. Yeah. I'll, I'll say to priests sometimes in the catechism of the Catholic church, there's four pillars as well. They don't line up with these four exactly, but the, the first pillar is the creed. The second is the sacraments. The third is the moral life. And the fourth is prayer. And I know priests will say, oh, I just preach on morality. And I'm like, you know, it's the third right. pillar, right? Like the third, like, and it's, it's intentionally the third, like it only can be treated after someone realizes what God's done for them. And then the sacraments have brought them grace and freedom in Christ. Only then are we really supposed to kind of hit dive into that. I thought that was so powerful when you first said that. Oh, all right, man, that was deep. Didn't expect to, uh, Kerygma (laughs) go that deep. Kerygma. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Um, yeah. We're basically at the year mark. So I think next year <laughs> or next uh, episode, we, we've got to mention we something. We have a little cupcake with one candle. That's in right. It. <laughs> yeah. Oh, all right. Email in your questions. Um, again, we apologize for the any frustration that may have been felt with audio leading up to it. But email us, rant at lordsdenver.org. Um, share us with your friends and just help us get the word out there and explaining why we believe what we do. Amen. Amen. God bless, guys. We'll see you next time.